Good CEOs build and maintain successful companies. Great CEOs build and maintain influential ones. We're connecting with successful business leaders on how to create the impact within your organization that transforms it into one of influence at the CEO Roundtable. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to the CEO Roundtable podcast. Today I'm joined by the co-founder at Omnia, Aldo Petrocelli. Aldo, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you for inviting me, man. No, um, it's been this a is lovely. I uh, appreciate you. Can't wait. <laughs> um, so, first of all, obviously the name Aldo Petrocelli. <laughs> yeah, um, you're very much from Italy. Yeah, I'm very much. <laughs> Yes, I'm I'm from Italy originally. I came here about like four years ago. Okay. Yeah. And uh, um, the reason you came here was you were awarded, uh, you know, a scholarship here, right? Yes, I won a presidential scholarship to study digital product design at the School of the Arts of Chicago. And then I got my business minor from Harvard Business School and I stayed here. Wow. Ever since. Very impressive resume. Yeah. <laughs> what uh what was your draw to coming here just uh i mean obviously technology is big here but it's you know big anywhere in the world what what drew you to want to come to the united states so i was into design but i was into physical design and i was into physical design because of my background um of studying it there um in italy it was mostly focused on physical products um and i wanted to move to the u.s because i saw a way to use design in business environments that was very useful. Um, I noticed that people with a design background, I mean, if you look at the founders of, let's say, Airbnb, those guys are designers. Mm. Um, uh, Snapchat CEO is a designer. And I was like, well, these guys have a design background. They are using design in their businesses and specifically startup businesses. And, you know, they're just focusing on digital design. And I was like, that's very interesting. Then if you look at the data, the best place to start a startup company in the West, and I mean, it's 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 closer to go to the U.S. than to go, let's say, um, to China, um, and and it's also like close the culture. So I was like, it makes sense for me. And a lot to, of Italians here, right? right. <laughs> it makes sense for me to like at least try to get the foot in the door um, and apply to schools and and go there that way. Uh, but my goal was always I need to start something. And I need to start something that I'm passionate about. I need to start something that I can apply my knowledge and my experience to. And that was Augmented Reality, and that's how I got into everything else. And you're doing some really cool stuff. And, yeah. you know, we'll get into that and we'll get into, you know, your, your thoughts about it. But, you know, what, what was it about the, the industry or design itself that drew you to it? You know, were you always like this as a kid? Is this something that, you know, that has been a part of who you are? Mm-hmm. So my mom uh, was studying architecture. Mm. And she never finished because um, I, I lost a brother. I'm sorry. I lost a brother, and um, she was like in architecture school when um, my my brother had problem. Like he, he died of leukemia when he was four. I'm so sorry. Um, and she never got to finish school. Uh, so I grew up um, having like in the living room all of these architecture drawings, technical drawings, the facade of really cool buildings uh, in Italy, old and new, and. I got into like drawing, like technical drawing, like architectural drawing and things like that. But I really <laughs> saw architecture as an industry that requires a lot of regulations. Mm. And I wanted to like be in an industry. I mean, y- y- you need to have regulations in tech, but I wanted to be in an industry where you could move fast and create something from scratch and just launch it and just give it to the users. 
Mm. And you can do that with software. You cannot do that with a building. Like, right. <laughs> it's like, <Can> you <laughs> and, and, and I also saw the architecture path as something that you need to spend a lot of time on. And, and, and it, it's going to take years for you to maybe build something, you know, maybe have your name on, 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 on the building. And I didn't want to wait that long. Mm. I was impatient in a way to do something fast. Uh, but I'm, now that I'm here and I know what steps I need to take, I'm really patient and methodical. Yeah. But I wanted to find my industry as soon as possible. And I wanted to find an industry that was big enough for me to grow into. That was the goal. Okay. Now tell me about the the culture part of coming here. How did that change? Maybe because um, obviously, if you're if you're talking about users, right? Then it, it would seem to me that being in Italy, you would have a perception of what those users would be based on your Italian upbringing and culture. So then you mm -hmm. come here and now you're designing in a whole nother environment, but also haven't been through university and, you know, experiencing that. What, 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 what was that like? I don't want to say culture shock, cause, mm -hmm. uh, but, but if it was, what was that for you and how, how has it changed your, um, the way you view design? So, I mean, there wasn't much of a culture shock. I always say, I always say to people when they ask me that, that it's closer than you imagine. Uh, but yeah, obviously it's different. Um, it's, it's closer than you imagine if you look at the global scale of things. Because there's definitely uh, places where the culture shock might be higher than if you go outside, you know, if you go outside the West, I mean, it's definitely higher, the mm. culture shock. Uh, but my opinion on bringing um, diverse background on um, the team or even if you're working on a product is really precise. So I think that if you want to build a global business or a global product that everyone has to use, you need to be able to interface with people that come from different places, from different cultures, from different backgrounds, from different ideas, and ideas is important. Um, and if you're able to do that, and you can do that in the U.S. because you can meet, you can meet any kind of people. <laughs> like in the U.S., like who's 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 the American ever? It, there's there's no such thing. No. There's we don't no even have English, not even the official language. I mean, the U.S. doesn't have an official language. No, no. <laughs> so. That's the perfect place for me to like interact with each other, meet different people, um, and understand exactly what's my niche. Because one thing that I understood when I was like interfacing um, uh, with like other people uh, from different backgrounds and, and even like from different departments uh, or with a different interest was how can I create something for this specific niche, right? Um, and every niche has a problem and every problem can have a solution or like multiple solutions. So that's how I thought about, you know, my experience here in the U.S. Culture shock. I mean, yeah, the food sucks. <laughs> 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 and, and, and especially the food that the people say, no, it's it's good. It's Italian. It's uh, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sure. not. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, honest, it's just my opinion at the end of the day. No, I mean, some people like the that pizza the way they like it here, but it's fine. It's just my thing. It, it's not. It, it's not the pizza that I was used to. <laughs> if we have to be honest, what um, type of pizza we used to? I gotta ask. That's my. That's my topic. No, no, for sure. Like it's thin. It's more thin. Um, yeah. and it has like better ingredient, like fresh well, ingredients. Well, let me ask. Where are you from? That uh, southeast. So okay. I'm from the southeast. Okay. Um, I'm from a region called Puya, and it's yeah, yeah, the heel of the booth. Yep, yep. No, I know Puya. And so I'm really close to Greece. Um, and yeah, I mean. My pizza from my town is specifically like really thin, uh, fresh ingredients, like most pizzas in Italy, um, uh, source like, like locally sourced ingredients, 
Now, was it a specific style of pizza? Like, what, what would we call it? How would I identify the type of pizza so, it is? So the closest pizza to the pizzas that I was used to, uh, like eating growing up, uh, was definitely, I mean, maybe New York pizza that is thin. Like from, a Neapolitan or like a... Yeah, Neapolitan, yeah. yeah is that Neapolitan is? is like south, southern pizza. So that's what you would typically see in... Is so it it's not... You can find Neapolitan pizza. I like Neapolitan pizza, but like the pizza in my in my city doesn't have like the really thick crust. Ah, uh, gotcha. Whereas so it's Napolitan, more thin. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So and it, it's more crispy. So if someone were to move from your area, and we're not going to make it all about pizza, but if someone were to move from your area in Italy to another part of Italy, how would what would they call that pizza to identify it as different from? Uh, they would probably call it Roman pizza. Roman. Yeah, because it's thin and it's usually cut in squares. Ah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So it's a little more spongy too, right? It's it's crispy. Oh, it is. The Neapolitan pizza is like um, spongy. Not Neapolitan, but I think of Roman pizza as like uh, like bocce pizza, like. Um, yeah, but it's cut in square and it's thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they cut it with scissors? Ah, they, you say like with the bubbles that you see the empty? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yes, correct. Okay, no, that's, I, I love yeah. that type of pizza. And it's a different type, but no. Um, okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So we'll have to uh, have to take you to a couple of places and I, I'll have you critique it. Maybe we'll do a food <laughs> episode later to see what, what you think. But so now, apart from that, right? Um, yeah. Tell me, for those who, and we got off topic a little bit, is... What exactly does your your company do in you know in, in the world of well I'll let you explain it. Well, the easiest way to describe that uh, when people ask me and I've been trying to like say this description and people always laugh and and they get it. Um, are you familiar with Pinterest? Of course. And LinkedIn, right? So if Pinterest and LinkedIn had a baby and that baby was interested in augmented reality that baby's name would probably be Omnia. And Omnia is my company. Of course. So we allow creators in the augmented reality field to create innovative product catalogs that businesses can browse, okay? And we're doing that because we found out, like I, I was working as an augmented reality developer, like on the side, obviously, because um, you, you mix and match design, you mix and match a little bit of coding and all that. So it was perfect. And in designers were also the early adopters of the technology because you could see something in the space without actually developing it and creating it from scratch, like creating an actual physical model. You could see it digitally. Uh, but we allow businesses to understand more about their augmented reality options. And that's a big, big problem for mid-sized companies, specifically in North America. We have about 77% of mid-sized companies, unfortunately, that are unaware of how they can use the technology in their operations. Mm. So by working with creators and by connecting the dots in the augmented reality industry, and that's like the LinkedIn part, like facilitating connections. Sure. The Pinterest part is allowing creators to create interesting you know, portfolios, interesting um, uh, catalogs. And so, ideas, really, right? Right, yeah. ideas. So that's the discovery, and then it's like facilitating connections. Because if you're a business, um, you want to maximize your budget for whatever expense. And AR is a marketing expense. So you want to maximize your marketing budget and you want to have uh, access to a diverse pool of development options. And this is what we do. You can work with a creator if you want to work on a specific AR strategy and you need to strategize around that. You can work uh, with software providers and use low-code tools if you feel like you have the technical bandwidth to do that inside your own team. Or you can use generative AI tool that is a new thing that we started to work on um, recently, like about two months ago. Um, and you can create like 3D assets for AR just by using text. Wow. 
And that's that's going to be the game changer. Of course. Um, text and images. So 2D images and then the output is 3D model for AR. And it's like, why not? I mean, even at this point with what you see with AI, it's 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 insane. And, and it's yeah. so new to us, right? Um, and, and I want you to talk about a little bit about that because I know that you know, it's very new, both from an augmented reality, but also that um, the role it plays as uh, an alternative to glasses, right, or VR, right, in, in that world, that you're working on an alternative to that as, as part of what you're doing, right? So I was working, just to make a, um, um, a specific connection, I was working prior to starting Omnia. I wanted to do something in the hardware space. In the outdoor? Uh, hardware. Oh, hardware. Hardware, yeah, yeah, not yeah. software. Hardware, yeah, yeah, yeah. Accent. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so in the other space, and what I wanted to create was something that would be considered an alternative device, a totally alternative device category to glasses. And by glasses, I mean um, we know that big companies are working on like smart glasses. Well, Google for, had it like even right. a decade yeah. ago almost, yeah. right? And there was a huge privacy issue right. with that because right. uh, people were not ready. Because it's not about like tech all of the time. It's about like how people are socially accepting a specific technology. And I think AR and VR at the time were not, you know, we're not there. And we're probably not there right now. I mean, not even QR codes at the time were there. Right. It wasn't until the pandemic. So it's always something that propels it. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do was creating the AirPods for AR. Mm. Because one of the major problems with the Google Glass, for instance, is that you had this fucking camera pointed at you at all times. Yeah. And people were freaked out. Mm. And and then the AirPods came out, and AirPods have a really good technology called like spatial audio. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That you can you can use for spatial experiences. So in fact, like Apple is gonna definitely leverage that once they come out with their glasses. But I wanted to connect the spatial technology aspect, so the AirPods part, with an existing technology that was being developed at the time. It was smart lenses. So you have smart lenses that you put on on the eye, and you can see and you can see like AR things. <laughs> yeah. Now the problem the problem that we were trying to solve is this: um, smart lenses do not have enough uh, real estate, like enough space, to have enough components to make the AR experience with the smart lenses valuable. And is that from the input system or the output system that you're referring to? Or both. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's the AirPods to uh, smart lenses connection. Um, so the smart lenses don't have that real estate. Um, and so what we said was, what if we outsource in a way? Like we we take the components out of the smart lenses and we put them in mm-hmm. an AirPods type of device and we put the twin communication wireless mm-hmm. with each other so that you'd see the AR component, but then all of the computational power and everything is mm. in the actual AirPods. Yeah. Including this we, like the camera? And, and, and Yeah. And so, and the uh, smart lens has just become a getaway to see the AR content right. with, with right. like an LED. Like you can you can do it really thin. Now, it becomes a monitor for your eye. Yes, but like you have no idea how complicated that is. No, of course. And, I mean, put it on your eye, it's already sounds... And so you needed um, FDA approval. Um, um, as a first-time founder, because I'm a first-time founder, like Omnia is my first startup, it's very difficult to get um, fundings for an hardware company, and hardware is very capital-intensive. You need a lot of capital up front. It was very difficult. Like, I, I, was just, I was just like, no, like, let's not do it. Then COVID happened, and working on an hardware product when you need to work with physical devices, 
and COVID happened and we were like all split. Like my co-founder was went back to China. Um, um, I have a, uh, I had an, an engineer in California, but it was very difficult to get together and collaborate on stuff. And so we decided to put that on the side. We decided to focus on content creation and on the problems that we were facing as creators because we were all like AR creators. And that's how we shifted to Omnia, changed the name, uh, rebranded, and did what we did. Wow. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. And one of the things that you talked about, too, is that uh, part of everything you're doing is focusing, as you mentioned, on on creators, right? That um, it seems like a lot of events and things are just trying to remove creators from the equation. I want you to talk to me a little bit about that. So we can connect it to the Genetic AI team. Um, I'll tell you I'll tell you an episode uh, that happened very recently um, um, with an investor. So I was showing him a demo of the Genetic AI tool the people can use, like anyone can use to create augmented reality assets, um, which are 3D models. And um, the investor said, you're creating a tool that removes from the equation the types of users that you're targeting with the previous iteration of the product. Mm. And I was like, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> because that's exactly how um, technocrats think. Um, and technocrats are people that only look at the technology and they think that technology can solve everything. And AI for them can, could probably solve everything. I don't think that at all. I've, so I think that creators in the overall scheme of things can benefit from this technology as well as the business. So the other side of the marketplace that we're building. And I'll tell you exactly the flow that I'm envisioning. Right now, AI does not generate really high resolution in terms of output, high resolution 3D models. So if you're a business, yes, you can create a basic 3D model that you can use to test things out, to just preview it, make fast iterations. If you're like a furniture designer, you can make faster iterations if you see something in AR compared to like the uh, old workflow where you had to uh, create a sketch, create a 3D model of the sketch using a CAD software, then probably 3D print it, and that's the fastest way to do it. But if you can, you know, create it very quickly and then see it in AR, like create it on a low-code tool and then see it in AR or just generating it, then uh, that accelerates the design process and you can get to a, a result faster. The 3D model, the output of the 3D model is not very high in resolution. So it's not, it, it cannot really use right now. It cannot really be used for a finished AR experience. So you as a buyer, you as a business, you can create that, but you still need to work with an AR expert to create a strategy around, you know, the AR strategy you want to implement. Yeah. So where does it make sense for you to deploy the AR content? What's your current marketing strategy? What are you using to attract people right now? Is it a website? Is it social media? So you really need to understand that and you need to work with a human, with a creator. You need to work with an AR strategy expert in order to do that. It's not just about creating the assets, it's about creating the AR strategy that makes sense for you. So that's how I envision the whole flow to come together by not removing the human part. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like when I was at the AWE event last year, uh, talking about the creator's economy, which is a major year of your event in the world, uh, in, based in Silicon Valley, everyone was like pitching to investors and to other people, this is how we're gonna remove the creators from the equation. Like this tool would allow you to not rely on creators. Wow. That that was exactly what happened. And I was like, why? Like, we were the first one to present, and all we did was talking about creators. <laughs> How funny is that? <laughs> yeah, and then, like, we had eight other startups, like, pitching and, like, presenting after that. 
and all of them said something about like removing the creators from the equation because creators are expensive right 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 like it's easier if you like use software and not work with a creator right right um but we work on you know vetting the creators that we have on the, on the network we have a diversified pool of creators meaning that we attract creators that have a specific expertise in real estate versus furniture creation like like furniture experiences in ar um uh, versus like retail versus e-commerce so we have you know the development pool that is very broad yeah and that's the value proposition like our product is based on the users that we have in the network yeah and it's easier for businesses to replicate features of a product, but it's very difficult to replicate a network. Very difficult. And it, it seems like it's, it's going to have, it, it's already had, but it, the, the trajectory of the impact that it'll have on the economy, right? And, and talk to me a little bit about that too. So um, the, um, there's a report that came out recently um, that estimated the impact of AR and VR jobs um, based on the growth. Mm. And I think the growth was a little bit conservative mm. because of Meta. Well, we'll oh. about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's supposed to contribute to US GDP um, around 2.4%. It's going to contribute to 2.5% of US GDP. That's a big number. Yeah. That's a huge number. Yeah. So, you know, for those um, that are are seeing this as obviously an opportunity, but also a place where, from an opportunity standpoint, to be creators and, and to become creators themselves. What advice would you give in, in the space now that you know, you're a little more seasoned, experienced, and, and, and have uh, your own you know, point of view that it sounds like differs from a lot of what you heard over there in Silicon Valley? So I think, and this is our goal, this is our, our like specific and only goal at Omnia, is to make sure that people can successfully transition from whatever technical job they had into an AR, VR job. It's mo mostly AR, but the two technologies are like adjacent. So some, some technologies they use as a VR developer can be applied to AR. But I'll tell you why we're doing this. Um, I don't know if you know the story of Uber, but the story of Uber um, was basically unlocked, like Uber unlocked its growth when it allowed not drivers with a specific license to drive, but anyone with a car to drive. So what happened there? It happened that they unlocked the supply side of the two-sided marketplace. If we look at that with the Omnia perspective in the Omnia market, we're noticing that um, we have AR creators coming from three major markets. The software engineers, that is the total available market in a way, um, like the major the major market, we have about 4.2 million software developers in the U.S. only, not North America, U.S. Then we have uh, 3D animators. And then we have um, just designers that kind of have an interest in AR, but they're not quite there yet in terms of like skills. We want to pull creators from all these industries and allowing them to become AR creators that can actually work with a business on valuable AR experiences. Now, how do we do that? By focusing on the network, and we want to allow, in the future, we have this in the roadmap, but this is kind of what we want to do. We want to allow creators to share knowledge with each other. So if you're like an experienced AR creator, you can share, I don't know, educational videos uh, with other members of the Omnia network, and you can help other people starting out, AR, VR, I don't know, developers that are in a, are in a group, like a student group, 
at Harvard because we we ended up like doing something something like that. And I can learn from an experienced creator. I can learn the tools that they're using. I can learn the tips from them. And it's just, you know, and then I can share my work on the Omnia content feed that is going to be seen by, by businesses. And it's, like, it's like human AI. <laughs> <laughs> it's like closing like the Collaborative loop. learning. <laughs> it, I mean, sure. No, it is. Right? <laughs> collaborative learning. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sharing knowledge. Yeah, however you want to call it. I'm not big on names. I just <laughs> I just look at the meat of the thing, you yeah, know. No, the the but, outcome, yeah. right? The substance. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, you know, and and for you, what is the the vision for for the for you for the company? But as you see this evolving and progressing, you know, what do you what do you see in 2023 and beyond now? Well, I I'm waiting for Apple to release the augmented reality glasses. Okay. And I think that's going to be helpful for us, like a small company. Mm-hmm. We have potential, but like we're a small company. And I can't wait. I cannot wait to like see what Apple does because Apple, I really like the company compared to like the strategy that Meta was taking. Like everyone now is talking bad about AR and VR and the Metaverse, this thing called the Metaverse that everyone, you, you know, we have a thing um, in a specific food in Italy called minestrone. Mm-hmm. And you put a lot of vegetables in it. Mm-hmm. And I think like right now, journalists are doing that with all these technologies. They're putting everything inside one bucket. They're putting AR, VR, Metaverse, Web3. They don't know what they're talking about. Right, right. Meta was working, like they changed the name. They changed the brand. Right. And um, because they showed that the commitment that they have to the tech. But Metaverse is something else. Um, we focus on AR and I'm, I'm looking forward to like having... The air goggles, air glasses, however you want to call it, by Apple in my hands. And I want to see what ripple effect that causes in the industry because I want to see if people start paying attention to this technology and they start seeing AR, because right now everyone's talking about AI, but they start seeing AR as a way to interface with AI. Like using, um, using AR as an interface and you see it in the space. To, to basically leverage the power of AI. It's like Minority Report. Have you seen that? Right. Right. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, something like that, but done right is very powerful. Absolutely. I mean, we can already see just in the yeah. few whatever months that we've had AI out. I mean, imagine interfacing yeah. AI would be... Would be... And, 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 and AI and AR are like adjacent. Yeah. It's not either or. Right, right. No, of course. I mean, it's like saying computer, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Um, No, understood. Well, awesome. But I really appreciate it. It was a very insightful conversation. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, in in just a very short amount of time, things will even evolve even more. We'll have different conversations about it. And and that 2.4% of the GDP will probably double at some point. Hopefully. (laughs) No, but I wish you the best. And again, thank you for, for being a part of the podcast and the community. Thank you for inviting me again. Yeah. Bye, everyone.